Hi, everybody, and welcome to Full Metal Pod. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. Jimmy, how was your past week since we last met? My past week, everything merges into one. But I did finish season two of The Mandalorian, and I won't say any spoilers, but I went through a lot of emotion. I ended up binging the last five episodes of season two, and I think that's the problem with binging. You watch all of it, and then it's suddenly it's over, and there's nothing else you can turn to. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. There is something missing about having the... uh like the weekly episodics where you're able to watch and then you keep up and yeah, I know it drags on and on and you just kind of want to get the end, but at least by the time the season is over, it's only like what, three, four months before the next season comes out. Whereas when they do like kind of that dump or have short seasons, then you have to wait like another year, maybe two years before they get another version out. Yeah. We're not supposed to get Mandalorian season three till next December. So, it's a long time. Yeah, that's that's one of the downsides. Like the, the nice thing about binging is that you can just get resolution. Just go watch it through the weekend or whatever, and you can get the entire resolution of the season. But then, yeah, when if it's a if it's like a one and done series, then maybe it's all right. But if you know there's going to be a season two or season three or another season, then yeah, it's like, come on, I I, I need more. I need more. Yeah, it's you get so invested into these characters, and that it ends on like a certain point, and then you're like, okay, where do I go to next? And especially with the Mandalorian, there's not really anything after it. I mean, it takes place before Force Awakens and all that stuff, but there's nothing new to turn to to like get me that fix of Star Wars. Huh. Yeah, I guess so. Though, aren't they working on... They're working on a few shows, actually, coming out, what, next year, the year after? Yeah, it looks like we're getting maybe three or four Star Wars shows. So, next year is going to be great if everything comes out on time. We got, like, three or four Marvel shows and three and four Star Wars shows. I'm pretty much set. I think they're... I could be wrong, but I think their first one comes out next... What? next year or something or not, not next year, but like in the January, I could have sworn one of them was coming out in January, but maybe I'm wrong. I know WandaVision, the Marvel show WandaVision comes out January 15th, I believe. Yeah. So that'll be fun. I noticed that they shifted things around. So I'm guessing it has something to do with the movies being released or the launch dates of the movies. Uh, Cause what originally, uh, what's it called? Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to come out be ahead of of uh, of WandaVision, but they reversed it. And I think it's because whatever happens in uh, whatever happens in Black not Black Widow. Well, uh, I guess yeah, the Black Widow movie and the Falcon and Winter Soldier show have some tie-ins so they don't want to like give away the plot or anything. Yeah. I hear one of the characters from the black widow movie is going to be in Falcon and winter soldier and in the Hawkeye show, which is just filming. So I guess they had to move some things around. Yeah. If it's been weird, this has just like been a weird, weird year of no movies. Like I, my life seems to be so 
involved with movies. Like that's one of the things that I always do. Like even in the summer, I would hit up all of the movies and go see them. But then this year it's like, not really. I mean, there's been a few good streaming things that have shown up on Netflix and Amazon and whatnot. But in general, we just haven't had the big blockbusters like we have every year. And I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that next year, hopefully, if things normalize. Yeah, I'm really I've been trying to create the movie experience at home. I've rented a lot of the premium on demand movies, you know, like they were supposed to be in theaters, but you can rent them for twenty dollars and like making my own popcorn, sitting and watching them. But it just it doesn't feel the same. It's not the same as watching it with an audience or movie theater popcorn just tastes different and overpriced candy. It's not as good as candy I bought at the convenience store. Very true. Well, if, assuming assuming nothing changes between now and or nothing major changes between now and say May, you know we're gonna have like four movies dumped next year from Marvel, Marvel proper. Uh, but then of course there's like the Sony Marvel pictures that are coming out, like uh, Venom and Morbius. But I think like in May we get Black Widow. Then July, we get Shang-Chi, and then I want to say November, we get Eternals, and then December, we get Spider-Man 3, which, oddly enough, still doesn't have a name. It's like it's a year away, and you'd think they would have at least hinted at what it's going to be called, like Spider-Man Work From Home or something like that. That'd be great. Spider-Man has to work from home, and he's trying to figure out how to do his Zoom calls. Yeah, that would absolutely be a great movie to watch. Just him. He's trying to fight Vulture or whoever, but through Zoom. Spider-Man, Peter Parker should still be in high school. So it could show him like trying to do, figure out distance learning and him handling all that. I mean, that would be very, uh, that'd be very appropriate for the time and it'd be relevant. Granted, like when kids watch it 10 years from now, they might not understand the reference or something. And be like, well, there was a whole year where... Everything was done remotely because of the virus and whatnot. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, didn't Marvel skip this year, like in their timeline? Because there's a five year jump from Infinity War to Endgame. So they just skipped the Corona year. They did, which is actually kind of a funny, not funny, but a weird thing to think about because. I remember when I watched Endgame and they talk about that five-year jump. So the, the remainder of Endgame takes place in 2023. You're wondering, okay, well, how are the timelines going to line up with Marvel and the real world and stuff? Because for the most part, they lined up pretty well. And it seems like with this skip year and potentially a skip year next year, uh, they may inadvertently line up without us even knowing or without them even trying. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I guess... We got snapped. Maybe we're living in the snapped world. We got snapped and this is that other world. Maybe. Maybe this is the snap world. Like this is where everybody goes when they're snapped. They go to the, the, the this world where you have to hang out and home and do your all your, your learning at home and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, man. That's interesting. I never, I never thought about Marvel skipping the Corona year. But it's interesting that you... You pointed out that we might catch up to the Marvel proper timeline. We might. We might very well do that. I'm most excited. Like, I'm kind of excited for all of them. Uh, But I really want to see what this Spider-Man movie is going to be all about. 
and I, I'm not even sure anymore because they've moved they've moved them around. Because if I remember correctly, originally Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness was supposed to come out before the Spider-Man film, and so I figured, oh, okay, well, there's just there's definitely going to be some kind of multiverse tie-in, but now. It's not the case, but he's still supposed to show up in the Spider-Man film. And so I'm just kind of trying to figure out what all of these are going to add up to. I don't know, but I heard a rumor that Willem Dafoe was going to be in the the new Spider-Man movie. And I'm excited because he is the best Green Goblin. I have a personal theory that what we might wind up getting is just a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Remember when they did Crisis on Infinite Earths in the Arrowverse and leading up to it, there were all these talks about the different cameos and stuff or the different people who signed on, like the original Robin and whatnot. And we got all excited, but then when the movie actually hit or when the show actually hit, a lot of them were just glorified cameos. Like they had 10 seconds on screen and then moved on. Yeah, okay. I am worried, and this is kind of like a conversation I had with a friend talking about The Mandalorian Season 2 and about fan service. And if anyone knows about The Mandalorian, there's a lot of characters from the animated Star Wars uh, shows that they brought into live action. And it's done so well, but it's still fan service because it's like for the fans. But it doesn't feel like that way. But when, and this might be controversial... But when you watch Rise of Skywalker, it's full of fan service as well, but it doesn't help the story. So it just feels like they're just giving you what you want so that you'll be happy, but it doesn't make sense. I'm hoping Marvel can do it like Mm -hmm. the Mandalorian and give us fan service that helps move the story along instead of just like, oh, there's Tobey Maguire walking behind us. I think what might wind up happening, and this is just a theory and... You know, you can, if, if the movie comes out, you guys can reach out to me if I wind up being totally wrong. I think what's going to wind up happening is it's going to show like Peter Parker, Spider-Man uh, from the original Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, rather, uh, fighting Doc Ock or something. Then all of a sudden a portal opens up and he vanishes. And then that's what Alfred Molina's cameo is and you know, stuff like that. Oh, I hope that's not it. I was also having the fear of like, Tom Holland Spider-Man just like web swinging through like different Doctor Strange portals and we get to see like small scenes of the like different Spider-Man and different dimensions but he's just kind of like yeah. flipping through them because I, I, I feel like the hype is so big that Marvel has to know like if they don't deliver this is going to backfire on them very true. Well, we'll see what winds up happening. I mean, regardless of what they do, people are going to see it. Like, even if it is 10 second cameos of each character, you know, people are going to show up. Oh, well, I'll definitely. If the theaters, hopefully the theaters are up and running in December. I'm going to watch that so many times. It's it's not going to be. I mean, it's going to be awesome for me and all my friends who I'm going to drag to watch Spider-Man 3. I guess enough comic books. We should jump into our fun little anime show sounds good all right everybody today is episode 18 and and we will be covering episode 34 the ice queen and episode i want to say yeah 35 which is called the shape of this country and a lot of things happen here 
it definitely does not feel like a filler episode uh, as the previous episodes did. There's a lot more exposition going on. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and talk about what happened in Ice Queen. So Edward is in the infirmary uh, being looked at. And what we learn is that it's easier to get frostbite if you have regular iron auto mill as the metal parts touching the skin will freeze faster. And that's essentially what causes the problem. And of course, the metal doesn't do so well in the cold either, so it can't move properly. Uh, over in Briggs, they've experimented and they were able to create an auto mill that was flexible, lightweight, and resistant to the cold by essentially finding an alloy that worked. And that's why Buccaneer's auto mill continued to work. And that's also why Edward wasn't able to use alchemy on it because part of alchemy is being able to, or, or understanding the composition of what it is you're trying to transmute. And he assumed that it was iron and it wasn't, so he couldn't transmute it. They advised him to get some new auto mill, have his mechanic, in this case, Winry, come up to service it. Uh, Al's hair... Not really hair, but, you know, I guess for the sake of a uh, piece of armor, his hair gets destroyed when they try to remove his helmet from Buccaneer's claw. And General Armstrong asks the brothers about why they are here. First, of course, she asks how her brother's doing, and when they mention that he's doing fine and he's happy, she doesn't seem too pleased with it. But now she wants to know why the brothers have come to Briggs and have bypassed Central Command, so they are on an unofficial trip. Uh, so if the brothers try to come up with a excuse because they don't want to say why they're really there, they don't want to bring up anything about the homunculi, the Fuhrer, the Philosopher's Stone, anything like that. And of course, the fact that Al is hollow doesn't really help either because that just makes things weirder so they kind of use that to say well we're just trying to find a way to get our bodies back and you know we learned about this girl who knows alka history and we believe she's headed in this direction so this is how we are going to uh this is how we think we're going to find the answer obviously that's as far as they go because they don't want winry to get in trouble because she's essentially a hostage in this situation she understands that the guys are reckless. That's why she doesn't really like them. Like, she can't believe Edward is a state alchemist with as clumsy and careless and reckless as he is. But she also wants to keep them around because she thinks Alkahestry may have some decent military usage. Uh, she mentions that, you know, they are they abut the border with Drachma. They are the border with Dr Drachma. And anything that can give them an advantage, they are open-minded to. So Major Miles is brought in, a new character that we're introduced to. He, he is there to put the brothers to work. A little exchange comes by. Uh, Miles and the brothers are talking, or at least the brothers are talking to Miles, and Miles is kind of just ignoring them. And the brothers get upset. Ed gets upset and says, come on, I have to answer all your questions. And when I ask you guys questions, you don't want to say anything to me. So that causes Miles to say, okay, I'm going to reveal something to you. Uh, apparently because Briggs is known as a place where a lot of people who have secrets go. Uh, because it's really, it's kind of the Wild West up there. It's kind of the, the feeling you get. So what is Miles' big secret? Well, Miles is part Ishvalan on his grandfather's side. 
and he has the red eyes of Ishvalan and the darker skin. Like from my perspective, when you look at other Ishvalans, he looks like he could be full Ishvalan. So uh, anyway, he always wears these these glasses, um, sunglasses, if you will, or shades that cover his eyes. So you don't really know until he takes off the glasses that he's red eyed and Ishvalan. They have a bit of a heated exchange because Miles blames the Amestrians for taking his grandfather's land. And Edward counters by saying, well, they burned some of our countryside and one of them killed our friend's parents. This was essentially a test that Miles put out because Miles will often do that and people will take pity on him. And so he always wants to see how people react. So with Edward, he does this and he actually was happy that Edward instead fired back instead of taking pity on him. Miles mentions that he was on active duty during the War of Extermination. He was spared because he didn't meet the purge requirements that the army had for removing Ishvalans. I guess being only half Ishvalan kind of saved him. Uh, he's been in Briggs ever since. Miles has resented the military and didn't know why Armstrong kept him on staff, as he figured it would cause conflict with other soldiers for a... Uh, for a soldier with his fallen blood to be present. He once asked Armstrong why she didn't get rid of him, and her answer was essentially that they have a duty to protect the border from drachma. They need to work together as one unit so they don't have the luxury of discrimination. And she also believes that his differences are actually an asset, like because he grew up having some cultural influence uh, from the uh, from Ishvalan, I guess all ideologies is volunteer culture. He has a different way of seeing the world, which could be valuable. Briggs basically has this law of survival of the fittest. So it is definitely the wild west. If you can survive there, it doesn't really matter if you're a man, woman, what your race is, whatever. It's, it's just, can you survive or can you not survive? So the Elrics are sent to scrape icicles off the pipes, and they run into Fallman, who was one of Mustang's men. He was originally supposed to be at the North Station, but then they relocated him even further north to Fort Briggs. He was promoted to lieutenant, but clearly by him doing grunt work and him being moved up to Briggs, uh, he's been moved off his career path, which he is not happy with. Uh, Fallman's given the brothers kind of a tour of Briggs. They go in the R&D department, and so basically they, they show them that, well, in Briggs, they take all the technology they can collect from the country and fashion it into weapons. And then they are taken to the lowest level of Briggs. It is essentially a boiler room area, uh, and they're kind of shown around. Well, there's a man who walks by or some working men walking by, and they're looking at the pipes because apparently they hear some weird banging but then they realize the banging's not coming from the pipes it's coming from below them and out of nowhere a big bulky beer being just appears out of the ground turns out this being is another homunculus uh if you recall from an earlier episode he was vaguely mentioned or briefly mentioned um uh sloth the homunculus he is giant and big but also kind of dumb Ed is thinking that they may be in trouble because he's thinking, well, maybe they sent the homunculus to deal with the brothers. So he goes and tells them, hey, we haven't done anything. We, uh, 
did fa- did uh, the fear you know did father send you we we promised we haven't done anything and the homunculus uh, sloth actually just follows falls asleep well then he comes back and then he's just wandering around he just, he just seems very disinterested in things that are going around him and he just has a one track mind of having to continue digging armstrong hits him with an rpg but it has no effect naturally being a homunculus uh, they decide to use their development tanks to attack the homunculus, and they get a direct hit on his face, which injures him, but of course, being homunculus, he heals. They keep firing at him, but but naturally he keeps healing, and interestingly enough, he is not really fighting back. He's just trying to figure out where he is and what's going on and all that stuff. Armstrong then starts to piece together that Ed knows way more about Sloth than he is letting on and begins to grill him. Ed confirms that he doesn't know him personally, and he and uh, and Sloth is not a spy from Drachma, but he is a he is unable or unwilling to answer who Sloth works for and what Sloth wants. He then gives them an idea by telling them, "Hey, the homunculi are essentially." molecularly the same thing as a human so even though they might seem more durable or whatnot at the end of the day they are carbon-based life forms similar to us so he this gives armstrong an idea of how to handle this and we i guess end the episode there yeah so a lot happened we we met a lot more characters what were some of your thoughts I never thought of Al's kind of white feather thing on top of his helmet as his hair, but he considers that his hair. So it must be, and it's very sad that that he's lost it, but maybe he can go like major Armstrong route and just have like that one cool hair. Maybe he can. Yeah. I think I might be wrong, but I think that's the first time he's ever referred to it as his hair. Yeah, I, I've never heard him kind of refer to... He refers to the... the I, I don't know. I guess the head part of his armor. I don't know. Oh, now I feel like there's a word for that. But I can't think of it. But he never... He always calls out his head. So I guess it makes sense that that's his hair. But it's never been damaged before. So I guess this is the first time. Yes, this is definitely like clearly... His hair is ruined and it's it's been cut like like I'd say like 70% of it, maybe 60% of it's been cut off and then the remaining part is all wiry and stuff. So it, it was definitely, I, I get why he was upset. I wouldn't like if that happened to mine. True. And I wonder if they're going to keep it like that for the rest of the anime. I don't know if you noticed back a while when Mustang had to kind of he made a transmutation circle on his actual hand a f- like a maybe like a a few episodes back when he was fighting lust mm-hmm. i believe but after that episode if you look at mustang's hand you can still see the scar of that transmutation circle that he made i hope that they keep al's feathery hair the way throughout the rest of the show yeah, and you also notice that Edward has a scar on his forehead from one of his earlier fights. Uh, this whole these whole past few episodes, so they they seem to be doing a pretty good job with continuity. Yeah, and it's those little things that you probably just be like, 
if it wasn't there, I wouldn't really notice. But since it's there, it's really cool because it's like you're living this life with the characters. Exactly. And another nice thing, I, I mentioned it a few times about how it's the Wild West. It really does feel that way. Like any soldier who's at Briggs, they are so isolated from the rest of the country that they kind of have their own laws up there. It seems like like they have their own rules and they operate by their own social order and whatnot that you just don't see in the rest of the mistress. I wonder if it is that thing, because it's kind of like that thing where it's like, we live in the cold, harsh weather, so we are tough and very, like, no feelings, cold people, in a sense. Because, you know, he hasn't really met anyone who's, well, that's not true. I guess the doctor, but she did charge him for coffee, so I don't know. But (laughs) he hasn't met, like, too many people at the station that are very, like, Oh, come in, and it's t- way different than Central. Yeah, the only person he met who was really nice was, well, it's not even somebody he met, it's somebody he already knew in terms of Fallman. Fallman was the only person who was really nice to him. And I'm so glad that Fallman is there, not because it gives Ed and Al, like, a friend, something familiar for them, but it's cool because he is one of the characters that we didn't get too much development from uh, Mustang's little group that he formed and now this is this might give us a chance to learn more about who Fallman is and I mean they did make fun of him in this episode which I love that moment when they first meet him and then he's like hitting the icicles off and they're like oh they took you off the career path yeah, and then he's just all sad about it because he realizes oh, my life isn't going to go the way I want it to yeah I mean it's tough I would I would not want to be stationed in the north. No, it does not look fun at all. It's super cold and just it looks like a terrible place to be. But it's also like you see a camaraderie between the people. Like they definitely, I mean, what's her, uh, Armstrong, General Armstrong, not uh, Major Armstrong. General Armstrong points out how they are to act as one single unit, one single body. So they all kind of have this camaraderie together with each other, which is nice to see. Yeah. She's definitely formed a family up there. It seems like it's like her version of what Mustang has in central. Yeah. I think that's a very fair point to make. And I'm excited to see kind of, I I was excited a couple episodes ago, just cause it's a whole batch of new characters and everyone seems really interesting. And we learn about, um, one of the characters um, today, we learn about Miles, who is Ishvalan, which is really, it's really cool. And I feel like everyone knows there, so it's not that much of a secret. But it was a cool reveal. Yes, I agree. And I really liked the fact that they kind of do- dove deeper into him being as fallen and what that kind of meant or being part of fallen and what that kind of meant for him and kind of the, 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 the team as a whole and whatnot, because just the general anti fallen sentiment that exists in the military and in a mess and it's in a mistress. 
and how, you know, Armstrong, which I do need to reiterate, she is nothing like her brother. She is tough as nails, cold, calculating. She she is not the jovial person that we see in her brother. But to see how she was just like, I don't care if you're Ishvalid, uh, you know, we don't have the luxury to discriminate here because we need to be one giant unit. I want to know more about the Armstrong family. Uh, I we see that little like a glimpse of that family picture she has, but I want to know more. I want to know like now that we met two of them, I want to see what the other siblings are like. Like, where's everyone's personality? Personality lie. Yes, because two of them, the two that we've met are on like polar opposites of the personality spectrum. So it's kind of interesting to figure out like, I'm kind of curious which one of them is the black sheep of the family. True. Oh, man. Yeah, they're so different. It's just kind of, it doesn't. Though when, when they brought the letter to her last episode, she just like tore it up and was like, this is. This means nothing to me. So I wonder if maybe I don't now I'm like Major Armstrong is kind of his doing his own thing, filling the world with like love and his family's more on the harsher side. Could be, but then she's also out in the middle of nowhere and granted we don't know where his family is, but I'm willing to bet that they aren't and Briggs are in the middle of nowhere. They're probably in a large city or something or in central. So maybe she's the odd one out. True. I, I find it interesting. Like Armstrong, major Armstrong sent them to go to see his sister. And when she's questioning them, they're like, can we trust her? I don't know. How would you feel? Uh, you you know you can trust Major Armstrong. And he's sending you to his sister, General Armstrong. Do you think you can trust her? I, I probably would. Because just because of who Major Armstrong is, I don't feel like he would be the type to purposely send you into a bad situation. So I, I would probably trust her to some extent. Yeah, I, I feel like they're just kind of, oh man, it's I, it's really tough for them after finding out that really they can't trust anyone anymore because it's uh, everything's out there, but they don't want people knowing what they're looking for. I think they're slowly starting to learn that maybe she's trustworthy, but even if she's trustworthy, there's a bunch of soldiers in the area. And if any one of them overhears whatever conversation they have, that could bite them in the butt and wind up getting them in trouble and harming Winry ultimately. True. And I'm sure like when they start talking about Fuhrer Bradley being this creature and how this is like this whole plot, kind of and the philosopher's stone it might sound like treason to another soldier yeah yeah so they they're forced to play dumb which is kind of interesting when you see the back and forth between them because she is not 
like she's not asking nicely for the information. She is like demanding it, yelling at them. Like, what is this? Are you a, are you a spy? Are you an enemy? Because you you seem to know who this person is. Yada yada yada. Talking about sloth, and Ed just kind of sternly looks back and says, "I can't tell you anything. Like, I can't tell you." And yeah, just that kind of back and forth, seeing the resolve in Ed, it, despite as threatening as she was to him. Yeah, there is. And that's interesting because it's like in a, such a high pressure situation. I mean, Sloth's not moving super fast, but he is kind of tearing through things and throwing things and breaking stuff. And he just popped out of the middle of nowhere. So for them to kind of be like, well, we still don't know where everyone stands at this moment. So we can't tell people what we know, even though it might help. Yeah. And this is a homunculus that they have not met yet too. So they have no idea what he's doing up there, why he's up there, anything. They just automatically assume that, Oh, he was sent here to deal with us because they figured, you know, the, the other homunculi figured that the brothers were up to no good. And that's why they were at Briggs unofficially without telling central command or anything. And, that turns out to not be it. He's just kind of there and he just shows up and he's digging a tunnel is what they, he keeps talking about. It's like, all they have to do is dig and dig, but he's just doesn't even seem to be aware of what's going on around him. Like as people are shooting at him and stuff, he just says, Oh, that hurts. And then he just keeps walking. But like, he's never mad at the people who are around him or mad at the people who are shooting at him. He just keeps going. Yeah. I mean, this episode, I was like, what a coincidence. The brothers get there, and then the same time, Sloth pops out of the ground. Like, And no one planned this, but it's just like, what timing for all this to go down? Yeah. And I, to me, it was just fun, like... He just seeing he's almost like the Hulk in a way, just like an even dumber version of the Hulk, because he is giant in the same way that the Hulk is. Uh, he does have like the really he he definitely skips leg day, that's for sure, because he has like really scrawny legs, but then just the giant torso and arms, and then he definitely stands taller than. I mean, if you told me he was fifteen feet tall, I would believe it. But yeah, he's just like wandering around he's walking and he's throwing stuff but not necessarily because he's trying to attack anybody it's just because it's in his way so he sees like a giant pipe in front of him and he picks it up and tosses it to get it out of his way yeah and i it's just interesting that everyone there at briggs is like is he a spy he must be a spy because that's like the only reason someone would pop out from underground so it's kind of everyone is everywhere on this page and then they start shooting at him and clearly that does not work. Like the average person we've seen in the show has no idea what the homunculi are. The brothers had no idea what the homunculi were until they actually met one with greed. So yeah, they are, they have no idea what's happening because naturally they assume it's a spy because nobody really comes up to Briggs area. The only thing Briggs soldiers do is protect the country from drachma. So yeah, that would be the natural, the natural thought is that, Oh, these they're sending something from drachma to, to to deal with us or to to harm us. And no, that's, that's not it at all. He's just 
it's just something that shows up. But yeah, just imagining what's going through their heads at that time must be just, I don't know, just crazy. Yeah, and I don't know if this is like real life thing or it's just in the anime, but do tanks shoot like bullets? I always thought tanks shot like bomb kind of things. Like if a tank fired something, it would explode. But are do tanks just shoot like big bullets? Uh, I'm not a tank expert, but my understanding is Yes, they essentially fire large shells at people, but I think they can also sh- they could also send out like incendiary rounds, so like uh, essentially things that can explode. But yeah, they're essentially just sh- shooting large, uh, large shells or large bullets at things. Okay, because when they shot their like when the tank fired, and this giant kind of bullet hit sloth. I was like, oh, it's going to explode. But no, it just kind of like hit him. And I, of course, a normal person, it would have probably like ripped through them. But for Sloth, it just was like nothing. But I was like, oh, I did not know that. I thought all tanks shot like bomb-esque things. So I, I'm learning stuff. Yeah, I think in most cases... When it, it just, it's supposed to like hit or penetrate something large, like a building or something or or another tank or armor of some kind. And yeah, it tears, it, when it flies through, it creates, I guess, a high, it, it's, it moves so fast that it's just destructive. And then whatever it hits tends to send out a lot of shrapnel that is also destructive. And it's interesting that I I feel like for me, if I shot something from a tank or I saw someone shoot a tank um, round and it hits someone and it, it basically just like bounces off of him, I, I would be shocked. I think there might be some explosives in it, but that has to like tear up in order for it to explode. And because... It just kind of, he just kind of absorbed the shock of it. It didn't. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. I, I feel like at that moment, I'm like, what do we do from here? We shot him with this giant thing. Now, what do we do? And I guess, you know, that's where we end up on this episode. Like, where do we go from here? Yep. Well, <clears throat> they give him an idea. They give a, they give a Armstrong an idea and she goes with it. So, Let's jump to the next episode and figure out how they solve this. Let's see here. Episode 35, The Shape of This Country. So pick it up where we left off. Buccaneer and Armstrong decide to show the brothers the Briggs way of solving problems. Buccaneer and the brothers collect tank fuel, uh, just a bunch of gallons or containers of tank fuel, while Armstrong and her team use the tanks to push Sloth onto the elevator. Once they push him onto the elevator, they send the elevator to gate eight. And as he exits the elevator, they douse him with the fuel. Armstrong shows up with the tank and hits Sloth, pushing him out the gate. And then, of course, the brothers kick him, which knocks him off the wall and he falls into the snow. Apparently, this fuel is specially formulated to evaporate even when it's cold. And as it evaporates, it will sap 
the body heat out of Sloth. And we essentially just see Sloth freeze as if he were in The Shining. He just fr- he just freezes in the snow and is just there, like a little icicle or whatnot. So Buccaneer is ordered to capture the brothers, and they are restrained and put in a cell. They get word, they being the Briggs soldiers, get word that there is an injured... Uh, an, an injured soldier from Central who is be at a hospital, a field hospital. And so they send Miles to go and investigate. Uh, Miles sees that this is indeed uh, Kimberly. And, he, you know, he gets a testimony from Kimberly about what he was up to and what happened and essentially brings up that scar and him got into a fight. And so... Miles says, okay, well, Briggs is going to take over this hunt for Scar now. And Kimberly's not happy with it because that's his job. And Miles threatens him saying, you know, if you ever try to give me orders, uh, you're, it is not going to end well for you. Uh, General Raven appears in the field hospital shortly after Miles leaves. And he has the gold tooth doctor that we see from um, Wrath's flashback on how he was created. And apparently they have a Philosopher's Stone and they're going to heal him right up. So we then see Marco and Mei Chang. They're in a cabin reviewing the notes of Scar's brother. And we learn a little bit more about Alka history. It relies on this concept called the Dragon Pulse. The Dragon Pulse is essentially the chi of the land. Everything has a chi and there's kind of this river of chi energy that flows through all things. And essentially the what Alkestry does is it kind of taps into that river of chi, if you will, what they call the dragon pulse. And that allows them to do remote alchemy so they can start a transmutation at, at this entry point and then have the transmutation actually take place at an exit point within the river. So that's how we see her doing the remote alchemy where she like blows up something that she's not directly touching. Uh, then Marco explains that that's very different than alchemy in Amestris. Alchemists use the energy created from the Earth's crust, so tectonic plate theory, when the crusts move and rub against each other, it generates energy, and that's what alchemists use in Amestris. Mei Chang mentions that she could sense just this strange, odd energy under the country when she arrived. It didn't feel like tectonic energy, just it more felt like a bunch of people. So the bridge, the Briggs soldiers are viewing the hole, and they realize that it is actually a massive, t- a massive tunnel. Armstrong orders horses to be brought down there, and she also requests the brothers. The brothers kind of try to have a conversation with her and ask if anyone else has ever invaded the fort, and Armstrong says that it's never happened since she's been there, however, 20 years in the past. A mysterious woman attacked a guard and stole supplies for a month, the brothers realized that this was their teacher. They get pretty deep into the tunnel, and the Armstrong wants the brothers to tell her everything. She figures, hey, we are so far away from any kind of prying ears that you should be safe. She also realizes that the reason why they wouldn't talk was because they were clearly trying to protect somebody. So that's why she wanted to bring them out so far. This follows with Ed saying that he needs their help. 
He then dumps everything on her, the, homunc the homunculi, father, the senior staff, Philosopher's Stone, Winry, the Fuhrer, Mustang's men, all of it. We learn that she actually respects Mustang's team, but she doesn't really care for Mustang as she sees him as a rival. She asks them to figure out what the tunnel is for, using their alchemic knowledge. What would, a, what would an alchemist think this tunnel's for? The brothers realize that this tunnel isn't like something that's going directly out of the country to say drachma or something, but instead it is curving, so it's probably circling around the entirety of the country. So they start to realize, wait, well, what could this be? Well, in alchemy, a circle symbolizes the way they control the flow of power when they transmute. So that's why they always draw transmutation circles, not squares or nothing. Ed then pulls out a map. Ed asks Fallman to list all major military events that were accompanied by bloodshed that has happened since the start of the country. As he starts to list the wars and uprisings that have taken place, Ed circles them on the map. Most recently, there was an insurrection in Lior, which shocks the brothers because they figure, well, hey, we, we handled everything. We got rid of the, the fake guy and whatnot, but then turns out, well, no, then East soldiers came in and were able to handle things, but then Central soldiers came in and made things worse. So as the brother circles everything, and of course, Ishval, he then connects the dots of all the cities and realizes that this is a transmutation circle. So they're finally able to piece together what Father is trying to do. Father and the Monkey are trying to turn the entire country into a transmutation circle to make a Philosopher's Stone, similar to what happened in Xerxes. We then have a voiceover from Marco confirming it from what Envy told him. Marco mentions that he has no idea what their end goal is, though. Like, why do they need a Philosopher's Stone that large? What are they going to do with that Philosopher's Stone? We jump back to the tunnel, and Ed realizes that the first attack happened shortly after Amestris was founded. They attacked an, a neighboring country without declaring war, and the military was actually involved in every one of the attacks in those cities that he circled. The country started small, but expanded through various military actions. This tells them that Amestris was founded solely for the purpose of making a transmutation circle. The brothers then realize that this must be why Hughes was killed. Since he worked in the court-martial office, he had access to a lot of this information and was able to figure out what happened, and that's why they got rid of him. They also realize that the only spot left on that map is Briggs, so clearly there's going to be an attack on Briggs at some point. A soldier arrives to tell Armstrong that Lieutenant General Raven has arrived to see her. Ed asks her to help expose the truth. Raven walks up to Miles and asks Miles to give Kimberly the tour. Miles is a bit shocked as last time he saw Kimberly, he was barely injured. Armstrong has a conversation with Raven over some tea. Raven thinks it's private, but of course they've put microphones in the vents. Armstrong mentioned that they were attacked by some kind of immortal monster. They think that it originated from drachma, probably some kind of weird drachman experiment. Uh, Armstrong praises it. Armstrong plays it cool and mentions that she thinks that the brothers are spies from Drachma as they wouldn't talk about the monster, but they seem to identify it. She put them in a jail cell and Raven's free to interrogate them if he wishes. She said she wanted to torture the boys, but she just couldn't bring herself to torture them. She realizes at her age, she is well past the age of having a baby. 
and she still kind of has these motherly instincts. She realizes that she's grown older and she's remorseful about it, but she was amazed at the monster's immortal body. Raven then approaches her and asks Armstrong if she'd like a legion of immortal soldiers, which shows that he took the bait. So a lot more has happened here. A lot actually has happened here. What are some of your thoughts? Well, now we know how teacher survived in the North. Yeah. And we know that she wasn't making it up either. Like she really was up North survived for a month and stole a month's worth of supplies from a Spriggs soldier. I, I like that scene and it's a great kind of, and you know, they do this all the time in this anime it's a, it's a great break from uh, what's going on. The story is so serious at times that it's nice to get these little callbacks and these little breaks. Exactly. But I also realize that Briggs, this station all the way up north, must be so isolated from every other branch of the military. Just that what we learn in the end where Armstrong general Armstrong is talking to general Raven. Is that, is he a general? Uh, Yeah. Lieutenant general. Yeah. Or yeah. So he's higher than she is. I believe probably they're both generals. So they're both have the potential. I guess they're both kind of considered senior military, but how he doesn't know her at all. I feel like, the way she was talking, as we see when the everyone's listening in on the conversation, they're like, oh, she would have tortured you in a, in a second. You know, she doesn't even think about not like if she wanted the information out of you and she really wanted that bad, she would have like tortured you. But he doesn't believe that. And her whole story kind of about how she's past her prime and she's kind of really playing on like sympathy here. And that seems out of character from what we know of her. But General Raven is kind of eating this up, which makes me think like they are so isolated that he doesn't really know who she, he knows of her, but he doesn't know her personality. Yeah. I, I'm willing to bet that she doesn't travel much outside of Briggs to meet with anybody. Yeah. It seems like everyone who's stationed up there, is we'll stay up there kind of like, you know, this is what we're really good at. So we don't need to like kind of go anywhere else or we don't really rotate around. It's very specific. And I don't think anyone else wants to go up North. It seems very hard. Yes, I agree. It does not look like the place that you would want to work. And it kind of feels like it's a dead end job to wind up there. Not, not dead end, so to speak, but Kind of when they mentioned with uh, Fallman in the previous episode how he's off this career track. Like, it seems like that's the place you go when you, like, a dead-end job. You're not going to pursue in your career. You're probably not going to be involved in much of the general action of the country. Like, pretty much your whole job is to make sure nobody invades from Drachma. True. Yet we do see when the brothers are talking about or not the brothers, but Fallman is talking about Mustang's team and General Armstrong's like, oh, I like, you know, Hawkeye. And I don't know. Did she say she liked Havoc or not? I think she did mention that she liked Hawkeye and Havoc. But she doesn't care for Mustang because he does. She considers him a rival. So she has 
plans on well Mustang's goal is to become the the next Fuhrer, I believe. So I yeah. guess her plans are also to become the next Fuhrer. Yeah, probably, or at least surpass him in some way, because I guess she has room to grow. Maybe they are so she definitely outranks him being a brigadier general and he's just a colonel. I think anyway. That's the impression I get, but maybe she because of where she's located, she doesn't have as many uh opportunities to to grow up or to 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 get promoted so you know with him being in central he can scale much quicker and he can climb the ladder much quicker he has more opportunities to do that so yeah maybe she does see him in a rival in that way i also i found it interesting in all the talk about alchemy and how kind of we see marco talking about it how it's the energy through the earth's crust and uh, may talking about the dragons, dragon's breath and how they do it differently. Like through the flow of the earth, like it's, and it makes me think like, Oh, I always thought of alchemy as like, I don't know, a science or I don't know how I thought of alchemy, but I never thought about it. Like using the energy of the earth. Yeah, I think what they essentially say is that, or the, my understanding is that essentially it is a science, but it still requires like energy in order to do things. Kind of like, not to get too scientific, but I guess like the theory of relativity or whatnot, where energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Like, I think in order for them to change something from one thing to another, it takes a certain amount of energy. And I guess that's where they draw their energy from. It is. I never thought about it. I guess I realize like there has to be some other way of them doing alchemy. I just never thought about, you know, the the transferring of energy before. Yeah. And so it kind of makes sense then if they are using other forms of alchemy or, or, or other forms of energy, why their alchemy worked differently uh, because I don't know. It just, it seems, it, it does make, to me, it makes more sense, I guess I should say. Because, yeah, they're, because since they're using a different source of energy, uh, there can't be blocked or whatever, I guess. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's why May and Scars could use their alchemy um, during that one episode when Father kind of, I guess he disrupted the the flow in the earth. Yeah, that makes the most sense. Since it didn't just affect the alchemists in the area, or like who were in the immediate area, like the brothers or whatnot, it seemed to affect everybody, or at least everybody within the city. Yeah, I that's I find that really interesting. And then um, Marco, in a sense, like he's telling May, like you need to give up this search for immortality. In a sense that we have something bigger we need to do and that only through my knowledge of alchemy and your knowledge of alchemy can we really figure out these notes. Yes. That is essentially what we see happening. Like Marco is an expert at alchemy. And then of course she's an expert at alchemy. And we learn a little bit early on that Scar's brother was studying both forms of transmutation 
and he his notes have a lot of interesting things and scar isn't an alchemist or an alchemistry uh specialist so yeah he needs he needs these experts to help him decode the notes i like that armstrong general armstrong's like okay you guys need to tell me the truth i need to know everything we need to lay it all on the line and again like I don't know. Everything everything is kind of like, whoa, this is all perfect timing. I know it's an anime. Like, yeah, they timed it this way on purpose. But they telling her, them telling her the truth at that moment. And then just like a second later, someone's like, hey, Je- uh, General Raven is here to see you. And like the plans were already in motion. What a great timing that they were able just to like lay it all on the line. Now she knows everything. So that she's not walking in there uh, blind. Yeah. And she is 100% pro country. Like she is, what we get uh, is that we see, what's the word I'm looking for? We essentially see that her loyalty is to her country, not to whoever this father is or whoever this other person is. Uh, or whatever, whatever it is that the senior military is up to, because clearly the senior military are up to themselves, or they they're in line with whatever it is father wants. But she is totally in it for protecting her country. I feel like not just her country, but she's like, and now they're after my place. Like now they're coming here to Briggs. Like she's like this. They're like at my front door now. How dare they come? And I mean, I at first, like thinking back to episode one, when we saw that first transmutation circle just around the city and kind of that scale. And then we learned that it happened to other cities as well. But when you see it on the map and how big it is, it's like, it's kind of crazy. I, I would be in shock if I was there. Yes, and then we see also how the country was essentially founded for this purpose of creating this this um, philosopher's stone. So, uh, and it's I think they, if you do kind of the math roughly, you can realize that it was somewhere between 350, 400 years ago. So then you kind of wonder, is this person who is trying to create or father who's creating this philosopher's stone uh, and creating this transmutation circle around a mistress, you know, was he also the same person who was behind it in Xerxes? I know that envy, let's see when they were inside of gluttony, Al accuses envy of that and envy doesn't necessarily confirm no, nor deny it. But I think this is, this is showing us that, it's probably the same people who did that. Yeah. And sloth must have been just, I guess this is why sloth popped out. Cause this is the last spot. Cause he's the one he's been digging all these tunnels everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the one, I guess that's his job. Like you mentioned, his job is to dig all the tunnel. And earlier in the previous episode, we learned that that boiler room is kind of subterranean. Like it's underground. So my guess is that had it not been underground, he would have just continued digging. Uh, but because it, it was 
deep enough underground, he was able to pop out. And that's kind of what confused him because he was like, oh, this isn't more dirt. This is weird. What's going on? It is interesting. And it's like, I guess no one's really sat down and thought about all these uh, happenings except for, and we get a callback to my favorite character, Hughes, who figured it out way back in like season one which is like wow no one else kind of put this together and he i guess that's how smart hughes is he sat down he took a map out he looked at it and he realized what was going on yep and unfortunately that wound up getting him killed and now it's just like i now all our characters are playing catch up and we're finally at the moment where I I still don't understand what the I mean is the the plan is to make a giant philosopher's stone. I'm not a hundred percent sure on what the plan is. I know that they've built a giant transmutation circle, and uh, Marco kind of I don't know if Marco knew this already too because when he's talking to me, he's like, when I met the brothers, I told him like the truth is in the truth. And then he lists off these three things like like Philosopher's Stones are made out of people. That there are beings. Oh, man. Oh, that, that these beings want to create a giant Philosopher's Stone and that they're going to use the country to make it. So I, does Marco know more than he's letting on? I don't know that he knows more than he's letting on. I think that he's been able to piece it together. But he's still not exactly sure what's going on. So because, remember, he knows how to create a Philosopher's Stone. That was part of his research during Nishval, whereas the brothers don't. Well, I think maybe uh, Ed knows now because he was able to figure out that human transmutation uh, circle that they uh, that they were able to piece together in, uh, in Gluttony's stomach. But yeah, he knows how the Philosopher's Stone's made, and he was just kind of piecing together why they wanted him in particular like why they were keeping him alive in this prison cell and stuff and i think yeah he pieced together okay yeah these they clearly are wanting to create a large philosopher's stone and i'm the person who knows how to create a philosopher's stone so i don't think he's in on it like i he clearly states in the episode that when he asks uh gluttony or not gluttony when he asks envy uh more information envy doesn't give it to him yeah, I just, I'm liking how we're piecing everything together. And I feel like this is what this whole season's kind of been about. Uh, every Everyone getting on the same page and we're piecing it together. And I think we only got like a few more episodes left in the season. And then we're on the last, last season. So I'm really excited for us to kind of figure out the plot. And then in season four, go full force. Yes. Now that we've kind of figured this out, it's. I feel like what's going to happen next is we're going to start seeing them plan or try to figure out what the full plan is and then how to counter it. Because clearly they're creating a Philosopher's Stone, but as what's-his-face uh, Marco mentioned, he doesn't know what they're going to do with it. Like simply creating a large Philosopher's Stone like that it, ha- it has to have a purpose. Like they, there's, they, they have to have some kind of plan on what they want to do with that. So yeah, I, I think that we're going to figure that out soon. 
Yeah, I'm really excited to kind of... I hope we get to learn more about these new characters that we've just met up up north in, in the Briggs area. But I'm ready. I'm, I'm really excited for the new people, like General Armstrong's people, to meet Colonel Mustang's people. And we form like a super team. This is like our end game, the full metal end game. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. To put it, uh, that's a good way to mention it. Because I'm excited, like to see all these characters come together. It feels like everyone has their own specialty and has something to bring to the group. And I'm really, I'm ready. I'm pumped up to kind of see what this and I see what what they are going up against. But I'm still curious about the plan. I feel like I haven't pieced it all together yet either. No, and I guarantee they're going to be spending a lot of time trying to figure out what it is. And I think that was kind of the whole Raven thing. I think Raven seems to be in on all of it. So what the brothers are trying to do is essentially get him to fess up in a way and say, "Yeah, this is what we're trying to do. This is uh, this is our, this is our plan." And maybe one if they get that more information they will then be able to kind of plot against it. So yeah, having her pretend, uh, having her being Armstrong pretend to be interested and her being close enough to senior military probably is what's going to help her get that information from Raven. Yeah. And I think he's like, he's in a weird like position right now where Either he, because he knows this is the last spot that they need to kind of complete their circle. And I feel like maybe he knows he's being tricked, but he's like, or I don't know if he knows he's being tricked or not, but he knows that if he can't win her to his side, then he's going to have to take this place by force. Yeah. But it's so like, and I maybe she knows that. Maybe General Armstrong knows that. And she's like, oh, it's like candy to a baby. Like, she's like, oh, I'll just say everything he wants. And I'm like, I'm on his side. And I'll give him everything he needs. I'm going to act like that way. And he's just going to eat it up. Because it's easier if I go along with his plan than him have to force everything. Probably. But I think she's... I, I do definitely think she's playing him and trying to get information because I don't think she's a... She definitely doesn't seem like the type who would... who would who would play ball just to protect herself, I guess. Or, I mean, like, she definitely is not going to go along with what Raven wants, but she knows what to say because he's in this situation where he needs her to go along with him just because it's easier that way. Probably. But I wonder why saying... Why send Raven? I I don't know. I feel like Fear of Bradley would have been a better... But can he really leave Central? But he would have been a better person to send. I, I don't know. I mean, I think Bradley... Bradley's essentially a puppet, or at least that's been my observation. So I don't know that there would have been any better need to send Bradley over Raven realistically. Like, Father's the true person behind it all. Yeah, I'm just... I, I'm wondering what... Now that they know, or now that they've kind of caught General Raven in this, what do they do? They can't hold him, because if they hold him, that's going to send a red flag back to father. But they can't, 
I, I, it's, I, I guess I gotta find, I guess I gotta keep watching to find out. But I feel like everyone's in this weird situation where now they know more and they can't let the other side know that they know more. They can't let father know that they know more of this story than. Yeah, that makes sense. Like if they let any, if they let too many people know that they will risk uh, father finding out or sure or whoever finding out that they are up to no good. And is Winry going to get up there? Remember the, the doctor was like, you know, you should bring your automobile specialist up here. So are we going to get some like Winry up in the north? I, I'm going to go ahead and say yes, because I think it makes perfect sense to bring her because she can be a, what's the word I'm looking for? She she can be a, I mean, they're already kind of holding her hostage. So I think she can be a better, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's If they have her close, it's easier to use her, use her against them. True. I, I do. I hope that Winry comes because it's like, well, if I can keep my eye on Winry, then I know she's safe when we're here and she's over there in Rush Valley. Like if we do something wrong, they can get to her before we can get to her. Yeah. And I think there's also benefit for them anyway, if they have her nearby. And when I say them, I mean the, uh, I mean the, the military because then they can act on it quickly. Like if they misbehave, they can take care. They can handle her right there and then rather than, you know, waiting and then finding her and making things happen and then having to report back that something happened. So there, there's an incentive for the military to also bring her up as well. True. I'm just a lot of things. We learned so much in this episode. Like it was a, a really good information dump. Like it didn't feel like information dump because every time something was happening, I was like, Whoa. And then you knew it was kind of when, when Ed was telling Fallman to like list all the things you knew where it was going. But when, when he drew it all out there, it was like, wow, now, now we're at like the, the final stand. Yeah, so we're definitely getting further in. We're starting to figure out everything that is happening. And ultimately, I think we're going to figure out what the villains want and what the what the team's going to have to do to deal with it. Yeah, I'm just I'm ready for everyone to get together. Me too. And I we only we've got quite a while to go, but I think we're getting there. We're getting closer. Yeah, I'm excited to see what's yeah. next. But I guess we'll have to wait until next week for that. And let me think. Yeah, so this week is Christmas. And I know Hanukkah is recent and everything. And got Kwanzaa coming up and all of that. So whatever holiday you guys celebrate, I want to wish you the best. And that you guys enjoy it. And I look forward to seeing you guys next time. Uh, let's see. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy. Bye. Bye.